Hello. Welcome to the legends of King Arthur and his knights. Chapter 49. The King's Knight's Gambit. The sun rose bright and clear over the green fields of what we now know as northern France. The place where many terrible and bloody battles would be fought in future years prepared itself for one which was as unavoidable as it was tragic. Sir Gawain of Orkney raised himself from his bed and dressed thoughtfully. Once he was ready, he called for a messenger and told him to go to Gorns and tell Lancelot to come out, unarmed with two companions. The message was received with hope by Lancelot. He fervently wished that Gawain had seen sense and was ready to end the war and cancel the combat between the two of them. Later that morning, he rode to the middle of the battlefield, accompanied by Sir Bors and Sir Hector de Maris. All three were unarmed. They were met by King Arthur, Sir Gawain and King Caradoc. All six men dismounted and the two parties walked towards each other. It was Lancelot who spoke first. My lord, he said to the king, you have asked me to come here and speak with you. What have you to say? Inevitably, it was Gawain who answered. Lancelot, I accuse you of treacherously murdering my two brothers, Gareth and Geheris. You and I will do battle and I will prove that you did it. But after that, the war will end. If you defeat me, then the king will abandon the siege and return home, never to wage war on you again. But hear my words, this war cannot end until one of us is dead. Lancelot tried one last time. Gawain, please, let's forget about this battle. I can't bear the thought of fighting you to the death. You have done so much for me and you're the best friend a man could wish for. I long for your company more than anything, but if I can't have that then I will settle for peace between us. I'm afraid that I will kill you, and I cannot think of anything worse than that. I will do anything. Hector and I will become your liegemen, and we will do homage to you, as will all of my men, except the kings, Bors and Lionel. I will leave my home and go into exile for ten years. If I die during those years, then the fault will not be yours. If I live, then I will crave the company of the king and of your fine self, just as I always did. I swear upon my life that I did not knowingly kill Sir Gareth, who I loved as much as he loved me, or his good brother Sir Gaheris. Let's not do this. It would be a pity for the world if one of us killed the other. Gawain, urged the king, for God's sake accept the offer. No man could promise more. It's useless to ask me, replied Gawain. Nothing can stop me now. I would rather have my heart cut out here and now. Sir Gawain declared that Lancelot had committed treason and he would fight him tomorrow. Lancelot, tears in his eyes, stepped forward and formally accepted the challenge. The king agreed to the combat and declared he would leave Lancelot's territory never to wage war again if Lancelot won. It was decided that Lancelot and Gawain would fight the next day. Just as the two parties were about to leave each other, Sir Hector de Maris spoke. Sir Gawain, you have refused the finest offer and the greatest compensation that a man as noble as Lancelot has ever offered. I hope things turn out badly for you now, and I think they will. Lancelot quickly told his brother to shut up, but he knew they were all thinking the same thing, probably even King Arthur himself. There was great sadness on both sides, and the night passed in eerie calm. The next morning, the sun bore down and the day was fine and bright. It would be an energy-sapping day for the epic battle between the two greatest knights alive. The battle was to begin early, and Gawain knew this was to his advantage. As we know, 
his strength magically increased during the morning until he was at his best around noon. Sir Gawain of Orkney, fully and proudly mounted and looking quite splendid, rode out onto the battlefield. Sir Lancelot of the Lake was already waiting for him. Neither said a word as they rode away from each other and turned, preparing to charge. The signal was given, and the two men King Arthur had relied on most throughout his long and glorious reign charged, each intent on killing the other. No quarter was given. A sound like thunder rent the air when the two men clashed. Each lance was perfectly aimed and each hit the other in the breastplate. Both Gawain and Lancelot were thrown from their horses and crashed to the ground, dazed. Lancelot was the first to recover and he staggered to his feet. Before he had fully regained his senses though, Gawain was ready for him. They drew their swords. Immediately the first blow was struck, it was clear to all watching the outcome would not be good. One of them was surely going to die. It was just a question of which. The horses, seemingly too afraid to pay any further part in the battle, galloped away, leaving the two combatants alone on the field. The most violent combat ever seen between two knights followed. Gawain and Lancelot struck each other so often and so hard that misshapen pieces of chainmail flew off in all directions. Each of their shields took the full force of the other's blows until they were so badly damaged you could have put your fist through them. As noon approached, Gawain grew stronger and stronger. As Lancelot tired, Gawain hit him again and again and again. Bors and Hector, looking on, began to fear for their master. I am worried for my lord for the first time in my life, said Bors. It's as if Sir Gawain is a demon. How does he keep this up? Bors, replied Hector, I'm sure Lancelot is just holding back out of love for Gawain, although God knows why. Gawain clearly hates him more than any other man. Gawain stepped up his violence even more. He knew that his strength would wane after noon, and he needed to defeat his foe before that. Only Lancelot knew how close he came. Only Lancelot knew just how close he was to defeat, but he just about held on. Gawain launched savage blow after savage blow at Lancelot's head, and the great knight became quite dazed. Blood flowed from a myriad of wounds, and Lancelot prayed for salvation. And then salvation came. As noon passed and the afternoon arrived, Sir Gawain's strength ebbed away. He hadn't quite been able to defeat his mortal enemy, but he had come closer than any other man. As the afternoon wore on, the tide turned. Lancelot's blows became truer and Gawain's more faltering. One strike on Gawain's head caused a severe wound to open up. Blood poured out until half of Gawain's face was scarlet and one eye was caked shut. Still the two knights fought. Despite having so much less power than he had had in the morning, Gawain ploughed on and still managed to hurt Lancelot. He knew, though, that he was beaten. Even as the afternoon turned into evening, he knew he couldn't withstand the onslaught much longer. Soon he could barely hold his sword, and even standing up required supreme effort. Lancelot hit him and hit him again, until Gawain lay on the ground, all the fight gone from him. Lancelot stopped his pounding and looked down sadly at his one-time best friend. He knew he could bring the war to an end by killing Gawain, but he simply couldn't do it. Instead he spoke, hoping the knight from Orkney could hear through his pain. Oh, Gawain, surely I've won this battle. Have mercy upon yourself. You've acquitted yourself wonderfully, but you're beaten. Please, please let us stop now. If we carry on, one of us will die, and I can only see that being you. 
I don't want to kill you, my friend. I beg of you, let's end this. Sir Gawain rasped his reply, blood spraying from his mouth as he forced the words out. It is necessary that one of us dies here on this battlefield. Lancelot staggered over to King Arthur. My lord, he said, I begged Gawain to abandon this battle, but he refused. The fighting hour has passed and I've proved my worth. Lancelot, replied King Arthur sadly, Gawain will never abandon the fight, but you may leave if you wish. You've done what is necessary. You may leave the battlefield with honour. May God keep you well, my old friend. Lancelot nodded his thanks and looked the king in the eye. A single tear rolled down his cheek before he turned and strode back, as best he could, to his kinsman. Hector saw him coming. What are you doing? He's on the point of death. Cut off his head and finish this now. May God help me, brother, but I will never do it. I would rather die than kill such a noble and brave man. My heart will not allow me to slay Gawain. I love him too much. Sir Bors nodded. Sir, I can feel your pain and I understand, but I think that you will regret it. Lancelot was led away and taken to his rooms where the doctors tended him. As Bors, Lionel and Hector crowded round him, he spoke. My lords, I can tell you I have never felt afraid for my life on a battlefield until today. I didn't think I could withstand Sir Gawain. I was on the point of being defeated. I am amazed I escaped with my life. Sir Gawain was carried from the bloody field unconscious. King Arthur despaired. He could not see how the future could be positive. Either Gawain, his most faithful and loyal servant, was to die, or if he didn't, the war would continue to its pointless, calamitous end. There was no other option. As it happens, King Arthur was wrong. There was another option. But the other option was even more terrible than the two he had considered. The next morning, as Gawain lay unconscious and on the brink of death, a messenger arrived to tell the king that Sir Mordred had usurped his throne and was currently besieging his queen in the Tower of London. King Arthur took matters into his own hands. The threat to his throne was more important than Gawain's war of revenge. At last he had a reason to end the war, which even Gawain could not dispute, even if he had been conscious and able to. Arthur gave the order to pack up camp and march back to the coast. Within a day, the battlefield, for so long filled with the gruesome sounds of violent death, was silent. During the march, Sir Gawain finally woke up. His head bled profusely where Lancelot had struck and refused to mend, but his other wounds were healing well. He looked around and realised he was on the move. He asked what was going on. When he was told, the enormity of what he had done struck him. He physically reeled and the wound in his head split open again. Pain searing through his temple, he passed out. In London, Mordred almost screamed with frustration. He had been encamped outside the Tower of London for months, but he was no closer to starving the Queen out than he had been at the start. He had summoned every lord, baron and knight from every corner of England, Wales, Scotland and Ireland and showered them with gifts, buying their support. Even with these extra forces, he simply couldn't bring the siege to a successful conclusion. The usurper's frustration turned to fear though when he received a message that King Arthur and Sir Gawain had landed at Dover. He turned to one of his new allies and asked for their wise advice. Wise advice he may have asked for, self-serving advice he got. The good times were rolling for the knights and barons and they got used to the endless stream of gifts. 
they didn't want to see the source of their new riches dry up. So, to a man, they urged Mordred to march them all to Dover and attack the forces of the king. King Arthur may not be dead, they reasoned, but months of battling with the kinsmen of King Ban must have reduced his army to a pitiful state. King Arthur was there for the taking. Mordred beamed. He was in control. He was king of Britain. Without any delay, the siege was lifted and Mordred and the entire fighting force of Britain marched to Dover. Inside the tower, the Queen watched Mordred go. She was convinced that King Arthur would not be able to defeat the huge army she saw leave and despair took over. Soon the internal demons of melancholy took over even further and she convinced herself that King Arthur would still be angry with her about the affair with Lancelot and would want to have her killed. Then she managed to persuade herself that King Arthur would think she had been seeing Mordred too. Queen Guinevere did the only thing she could think of and packed herself off to a nunnery. Mordred and the lords and barons of Britain arrived at Dover in record time. Seeing what appeared to be a bedraggled and war-weary army waiting for them, they attacked at once. Mordred had badly misread the situation. King Arthur's army may have been war-weary, but they were battle-hardened veterans, very skilled in the arts of war. They countered Mordred's attack so vigorously that the usurper's army were routed and fled inland towards Salisbury. The youngest of the Orkney brothers was far from stupid and a very quick learner. He realised he'd have to be entirely prepared next time the armies met. He made a rousing speech in which he managed to convince his followers that the defeat had actually been a victory. It was all part of his plan to lure King Arthur to his preferred battlefield. Eyes full of gold, the lords and barons cheered. Mordred grinned to himself. The arch-manipulator had triumphed again. Arthur, flushed with victory, went to see his injured nephew. He hoped that the news would cheer Gawain up and speed him on his way to recovery, but when he saw the stricken knight, he knew the opposite was true. Gawain was awake, but his head still leaked blood at an alarming rate. He spoke very weakly. Sire, I can see that we've won. I'm your servant forever and I'm glad you tasted victory today. I, though, will never see another. I can tell that I haven't got long left. The wound which Lancelot gave me on the field of Gorns grows worse, not better. I will not live to see the end of this day. This whole war is my fault. I let my grief and anger take over and forced you into this pointless war with Lancelot and his kinsmen. It's my fault that my living brother has taken your throne and thrust you into yet another avoidable battle. I beg your forgiveness, my lord, and I will use my last remaining strength to try and put it right. King Arthur sobbed. Oh, Gawain, son of my sister, the man I love most, the joys of my life are gone. I've lost you and I've lost Lancelot, the two men that helped me make this land what it is, the greatest kingdom on earth. He bent down and cradled Gawain's bloody head in his arms. For a few seconds both men wept, silently, deep, deep in their own thoughts. Then Gawain summoned up his last remaining strength and asked his uncle to bring him a quill and some paper and ink. He called upon the last reserves of the dying and began to write. When he'd finished, he handed the letter to Arthur and told him to send it immediately, right now, without delay. Arthur read it and did as he was bid. This is what the letter said. Lancelot, greatest of all the noble knights, I, Sir Gawain, son of King Lot of Orkney, send you greetings. I write on the tenth day of May, 
a day which I know will be my last. I will die later from the wound I received from you on the field of Gorns. I foolishly wished my own death that day as my grief turned to madness. Lancelot, for all the love and friendship that we once had, I beg you to return to this realm. Our Lord King Arthur faces the greatest peril. My brother, the traitor Sir Mordred, has taken the throne and is even now preparing to do battle with the king. He commands all the forces of Britain and I fear for my lord. For the greatest love, for the strongest friendship and for forty years of comradeship, I beseech you do not delay. Hasten here to Dover, see my tomb and pray for me. Then take your forces and save my king. May God bless you and keep you safe, my friend. Signed, on the 10th day of May, Sir Gawain of Orkney. Gawain collapsed on the bed. The letter was immediately dispatched to Gorns. There was nothing more to be said. Silently, uncle and nephew savoured each other's company for a final few minutes. Eventually, Gawain turned his head towards the heavens and spoke very quietly. Father, Jesus Christ, do not judge me by my sins. He crossed his hands over his chest, closed his eyes and breathed his last breath. King Arthur wept as he held the body of his most loyal and favourite knight. He prayed for the soul of Sir Gawain of Orkney and then laid him tenderly back on the bed. A day of mourning was called. An air of desolation hung over the camp. Nobody could quite believe that Sir Gawain was dead and everybody wondered how the king would cope without his most trusted adviser. Gawain was buried on the following day in the chapel at Dover Castle. A few days later, the letter reached its recipient. Lancelot read it, and the tears rolled down his face. He consulted with Sir Bors, and they made great haste. Within a day, Lancelot, Hector de Maris, Lionel and Bors, and their entire army were on their way to Britain. By that time... King Arthur was camped on Salisbury Plain. Mordred and his forces had chosen where they wanted to fight against the king and had retreated to the plain to prepare. Arthur and his men marched from Dover and set up camp a mile or two from Mordred. There they prepared for what they intended to be the final battle. The night before the battle was to take place, King Arthur fell into a very deep sleep. While sleeping, he had an extremely vivid dream. Sir Gawain appeared surrounded by a host of ladies. He spoke to the king. Sire, all these ladies I have fought for while I was alive. Because of the deeds I've done for them, they've allowed me to visit you in your dream and warn you. Do not fight Mordred on the plain tomorrow. If you kill him, then you will both be slain, and virtually every man who takes the field will die with you. God bids you to call a truce for a month. Within a month, Sir Lancelot and his men will arrive from Gaul and they will rescue you and restore you to your honour. Gawain disappeared to be replaced by a lady. She took Arthur up to the highest mountain and placed him on a wheel on which there were seats, some rising into the air and some descending towards the ground. Arthur sat on the highest of the seats. He asked the lady what was going on. What do you see? she asked. I see the whole world. Yes, this is true, she replied. Until now there has been very little of which you have not been lord. The world has been yours. You have been the most powerful king that there ever has been. But earthly pride being what it is, no man can be seated so high without falling from the heights of his power. With that, she pushed the wheel roughly. King Arthur fell to the ground and broke every bone in his body. He lost the use of his limbs. His power was gone. Arthur woke up. 
he knew he must do what the vision of Gawain had asked him to do. If he didn't, then the second dream would come true and he would lose everything. He called for Sir Lucan. When his faithful butler arrived, King Arthur commanded him to take a message to Mordred, offering a truce for a month. Mordred considered the offer. It gave him time to call on his Saxon allies and bring together an even larger army than the one he already had. Already his men numbered a hundred thousand, far more than Arthur had at his disposal, surely enough to defeat the king. Mordred, though, true to his nature, wanted the odds stacked even more in his favour. He agreed to meet with King Arthur on the battlefield between the two armies. The two armies faced each other, a few hundred yards separating the front lines. Arthur rode to the front of his men and turned to face them. I'm going to agree a truce with the enemy. I will act in good faith, but he's shown himself to be treacherous. I will trust him until I see a sword drawn, and so must you. Do not draw your weapons unless you see the glint of steel. In front of the other army, Mordred made almost the same speech. If any of you sees a sword drawn by our enemy, then this truth is worthless and you may charge into battle. Only if there is no sign of treachery will this truce be agreed. As Arthur rode out to meet his usurping nephew, he noticed a rock in the field in front of his forces. It seemed to bear an inscription. Arthur peered down at it and recognised the unmistakable gold lettering he had seen so many times before. He recognised the work of Merlin. He wished fervently that the magician, so long dead, would come back and help him in his hour of greatest need. Then he read the words. On this plain will take place the mortal battle which will orphan the kingdom of Britain. Arthur swallowed hard and rode out to meet his nephew. They agreed the terms of the peace and drank wine together to seal the deal. The two armies waited silently for word that the deal was done. All of the men on both sides scrutinised their opponents for any signs of treachery. There was nothing. Nobody moved. The only sounds were those of the creatures which inhabited the plain. Mice and rabbits scurried and hopped around, unaware of the momentous events of men that were taking place. Equally unaware was an adder, slithering through the undergrowth near one of the front lines. The poisonous snake found itself at the foot of a knight who tried to kick it away. The serpent avoided the blow and opened its mouth ready to bite the knight. Instinctively, the knight drew his sword and struck off the adder's head. Only as the snake head flew through the air did the knight realise what he had done. A hundred and fifty thousand men saw the flash of steel. A hundred and fifty thousand men saw treachery where there was none, and the two armies hurtled towards each other. The mortal battle was on. Both Mordred and King Arthur knew it was unstoppable. They drew their own weapons and launched themselves into the fray. Next time, we'll see what happens at the final awful battle. If you enjoy this podcast, I'd be really grateful for a good review on iTunes. If you'd like to leave me any feedback, then you can contact me in a number of ways. Friend me on Facebook, Paul Vincent Myth and History. Contact me by email, mythandhistory at gmail.com or leave comments on the website, www.mythandhistory2.podbean.com Please also try my other podcast, The Myths and History of Greece and Rome, at www.mythandhistory.podbean.com So, have a great couple of weeks, and I'll speak to you next time.